Hey friends, welcome to Drink Sober Not Boring. My name is Era. I'm a former bartender and a current recovering alcoholic. Each week we'll be joined by a different guest from the non-alcoholic space. These remarkable individuals will bring their unique stories and perspectives, shedding light on a world beyond alcohol full of joy, growth, and endless possibilities. Together we'll navigate the challenges, celebrate our victories, and create a supportive community that thrives on compassion, understanding, and resilience. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a review. It helps others looking for support find us more easily. But here's what matters most. If you know someone who's currently struggling, someone who could benefit from feeling less alone in their journey, I ask you to share this podcast with them. Okay, so this week on Drinks Over Not Boring, I have an especially unique story and guest that um, I linked up with on LinkedIn, no pun intended. And I truly just want uh, to give him a platform to talk about his journey in sobriety because I feel like, although rare, it has to be common for some people. And it's there's a lot of healing in the fact that um, you don't have to get to rock bottom to get sober. You can just want, simply want better for yourself. So. Welcome, Ryan. I would love to just kind of hear a little bit about you, and then you can go on and talk about your evolution into ultimately finding your confidence in sobriety. Yeah, thank you. You know, I'm, um, <clears throat> as Eric um, mentioned, like this is, uh, I came across the podcast as a, as a fan, and I just reached out because, um, you know, I think it's it's important to have a, a, a safe spot for people that are either getting sober or are sober because a lot of unintended effects that come after it. So that was really where I think there was uh, alignment. But um, for, for my background, um, I'm a business development director at the moment. I was a, a business development consultant for um, some years before that. But before that, e- even that stage, I was a, uh, a business development director as well. And, um, you know, so the business world plays a big part in, in this story that you, you will hear. Um, you know, I grew up, I was born in Goldsboro, North Carolina on an army base, um, you know, an air force base, moved to Baltimore and then grew up in, in Vancouver, Canada, um, in down, the downtown region. So, um, if, for those of you who don't know, uh, East, East Vancouver in particular, there's a street called East Hastings. There's a million documentaries a month on, on YouTube about it, but it's a place that is riddled with addiction. It was the first city in the world to do methadone clinics and um, basically have a, a condensed area where camps and free needles were given out. So I was always surrounded by that growing up. But I moved when I was, um, uh, I think it was a junior in, in high school, back to the United States to go to university to leave that area. And during that time, you know, I, I didn't know this growing up, but my, both my parents um, are alcoholics. And I found that out very later in life, which was a shock, but it also made a lot of sense um, leading up to that point. And I was pretty straight edge in high school. It was college where things really went off the rails. So I was going to ask you, um, I just, how, how old were you when you, when you realized the, the, like you mentioned, all the things going on around you, the needles and the clinics, how old were you when you came to that reality that that was the world you live in? Like you were a child, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I think it was when I was nine years old, I had, again, East Van and East Hastings, there's this weird thing, you know, in, in other cities, sometimes people get robbed by 
you know, knife point or gun point. And a strange thing is infected needles is like a, a weapon to, to get basically robbed or, you know, scare you. And I was in the wrong place at the wrong time when I was nine years old. I was wandering around with my friends riding our bikes. And we went to the wrong back alley and we were chased by somebody with a infected needle. Um, and so that, you know, that left a really huge imprint on my mind where I did not feel safe at all. And that carefree, you know, riding bikes and everything, that's when it really dawned on me that there's some dark things out there. And childhood ended that day, probably. What's that? Your childhood innocence ended that day. A hundred percent. I had to go through therapy for, uh, six months after the fact the person was end up, um, a, a month later they were jailed because uh, thank God for that. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. We were at the gas station, and uh, they were um, that person was walking through the the door of the gas station, and for whatever reason, my mom looked back into the car and saw my face because I had described this person in really graphic detail, and it was like the mother of intuition where she just looked back and she goes, "Is that her?" She she mouths it to me. Oh and my I, gosh! I was terrified. The police were called and. Um, her and her friend. It was a female. It was a woman who did this. Yes, it, it was. And, and she was. No, I, I did not yeah. imagine in my head. I had, you know, I was, had this little picture and it was not a woman holding a dirty needle. Not saying that, you know, women don't. But that is a even more horrifying fact as you were, you were nine and women um, generally have like a mothering um, effect just in general on children. So the right. fact that it was a woman, it, it just, it's hard to believe that there would be that much evil in a person that's so um, devastating. I'm really sorry you had to go through that. That's mind blowing. Nine years old. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that would, you know, like I said, too, she was jailed, but she ended up actually writing me a letter apologizing profusely, uh, you know, and, and but this was a point, too, where. I started feeling very unsafe in the world in general because my mom kind of downplayed it. You know, she's like, well, you're going through therapy. Um, you know, it's no, it's not a big deal. You know, she didn't get you. You ran fast. And, you know, I, like the person I look up to, to for protection in these, in these circumstances was not there. So then I really realized, well, you know, who, wh where is my safety net and, you know, what do I need to do to basically get past this? Right. So I, I, at a young age, I saw and now seeing people just like that and being in the environment, it, you can imagine the paranoia walking to school, for instance, you know, and seeing this just you're because I grew up in the heart of that city on, on East Hastings, the actual street. There's no surrounding areas. It was in the thick of everything. So there's, a, there's, a, there's a fork in the road that people come to in life. And there's it's really interesting because. When you go through something, somebody wants to tell, to ask you, for example, yesterday I posted something on Instagram and it was like um, that feeling when you no longer crave alcohol to deal with your problems or whatever. And I posted that and I was like, it's coming if you haven't, you know, got there. And someone was like, well, exactly how long does it take? And I'm like, I could never give that benchmark to anybody because there's so many factors. I can only tell you it will come if you continue the work. Like it took me two and a half years. And if you told me that when I was trying to get sober, I'd be like, fuck that. Two and a half years? No, not doing it. Like, <laughs> yeah. happening. Um, but now I'm like, oh, two and a half years from the rest of my life? That sounds fine. So it's all, you know, it's all relative. But like the timing of everything just kind of comes back to that. 
yeah. where it, you have to go through it. Everyone has one of those moments where you come to a fork in the road and you could have said, I mean, you had came to the realization that life wasn't as pure and innocent and as safe as you were. Um, and you could have said, okay, then I'm going to be, I'll be a bad one. I'll be somebody that basically you turn into your circumstances because you put your hands up in the air. You're like, okay, I mean, what else am I going to do? I got to assimilate to survive or the road less traveled initially is I want to be the difference. I don't want to be this. This is the opposite. This is going to be what I used to drive me, all that kind of stuff. Most people come back to that other road after they go down that long road of the other side too. But you were nine um, and you said to yourself, like, I'm going to, this isn't my life. Like, I'm going to be different. This is, that's huge. I, I don't know if you ever realized that, but like you, and nobody would have blamed you for yourself feeling anxious or stressed curated by therapists therabox is a monthly subscription box filled with premium wellness and lifestyle goodies that inspire joy and relaxation they partner with mission-led brands to provide you with access to the best self-care products at an affordable price they understand that life can be hectic and it's easy to forget to take care of yourself and that's why therabox makes it easy for you to prioritize yourself and self-care with a monthly subscription you'll receive a box filled with goodies that help you feel relaxed refreshed and inspired don't wait any longer to prioritize your own self-care routine. Visit mytherabox.com slash boring today to order your Therabox subscription and start feeling like the best possible. Right. That's really well said. I, I didn't consider that that point. The other two did, though, to your point. You're right. The other two, uh, you know, my friends that were with me at the time, because there's three of us, they did go down that path. And so it's very easy to, to do that because even one of them were, you know, they're somewhat stoic. I mean, he's like, um, you know, he's from like war-torn Yugoslavia, so um, and which is now modern-day Serbia. So this area was like a um, – there's a lot of – in 2000, the early 2000s, there was a lot of refugees that were sent there from, you know, Vietnam, um, El Salvador, Russia – uh, Serbia, Croatia, so, and they and so Canada had this program where they took a lot of them in. So a lot of them, you know, I've seen some things, but to say that, that those effects that day, I knew something was different about uh, him. And, and you know, following up with him years later, yeah, he did really did go down that path in a in a bad way. I was lucky that my grandfather at the time he lived in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is opposite end. You know, it's kind of you know, it's it's, it's sunny. Uh, you know, it's, um, you know, the weather's great. It's, it's a, it's a state. It's like that living's easy kind of thing. Like you think about Arizona and you're like, oh, like you just palm trees and you don't really think about like struggle or pain of any kind. I feel like it's just exactly the sunny memory for most people. And that's why I live here today is because it was a safe haven and I would go in the summers to visit my grandfather and he was also in the business world and he was the one that just pumped education into my head from a young age. He was really, I called him even Papa. He was my father figure. So he was the one that kept me on the, I always wanted to impress him. So like, I don't know, he just had this appeal about him. He's just one of those guys that, you know, when he walks in the room, you know, he's just so, he always had the right thing to say at the right time. He's just the coolest guy ever. He had, I mean, he had that confidence and self-control that you didn't see, you didn't, you weren't able to see in your parents and you wanted to, it's like that, that thought where if you don't see it being done, you don't believe it can be done. So you probably were like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like X person, but this person, I would, I wouldn't mind being like him, you know? Exactly. And that became probably like your North star, which probably definitely kind of like 
gave you the map, that loose map that you needed to, to continue to like not give in to the fact that things were really hard and um, no one would have blamed you for kind of going down the road that you were shown. You know, you lived. It's not even like you heard a story about this happening. It happened to you. Yeah. So exactly. And, and you know, that put a fear in my heart that I, I was like in call or in high school when people were drinking at, you know, it's, it's common to have high school parties where people are drinking it. And I, I stayed away from it. I, I was saying no. And, and other people exper- experiment with very young. I mean, some of the some of the even in, in uh, schools in, in Arizona, when I moved there um, my junior year, we're, we're experimenting with things where I was like, wow. You know, you're, you're 16, 17, your brain is still developing. It's very hardcore things. And so I, you know, from then, I always had this image in my mind that I did not want to be like any of, of the people that I was growing up around. Because it was, you know, as you can see on the YouTube, when they talk about it, it's like the walk, they call it the walking dead. It's like you just see people deteriorating um, from just broken homes and people coming from everywhere in the country to be in this one spot. And that part alone kept me for a long time. It was like this, this, that's why I bring it up is this, this tailspin of, I am not going to do anything that would compromise even, you know, leading to begin leading down that path. Right. So that's why it was crazy when I got to college and, you know, you're surrounded by people and you, you know, I went to 11 different schools. So developing relationships long-term was very, very hard. And there's always this human- 11 different, um, uh, like between elementary and high school, you mean? Like 11 different schools in between 12th grade and kindergarten? Yeah, I moved every single year. There was once one um, one year where I just stayed at, at one school, but every single year. That is, honestly, I moved three times growing up. They all changed me. They all were so hard on me. And I feel like I know that there's some jobs where like the military where you have to move that often. But I think knowing what we know now about child development, it's cruel. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cruel. Um, I like I I could the child in me is like feels so bad for the child in you because I remember I moved and I was I was thirteen. I was old enough to, you know, I should have had the skills I needed. And I remember just like losing it and just it's that control, right? The only control you have as a child is where you live. Right. You know, it's not it's not in your control, but it's a constant, right? And like, you're trying to figure out who you are and then they rip you from every person that you know and that you've grown to, you know, admire, love, whatever. And moving 11 times like makes me want to cry just thinking about that. So you moved so much as you had decided or had seen at nine nine years old that you weren't safe. So like, you, you didn't even have time to build that safety yourself in the places that you went. Exactly. And then imagine when you know, you expect it the next year. So imagine how you start to view people in relationships. It becomes very standoffish and like kind of try to like not get too close. It's like when you're in a bad relationship for a long time and then you just don't want to talk to anybody ever again. It's like you boomerang so far back. Exactly. From what you don't want. Exactly. So I know that I got to university, I'm going to be there for four years. And so I didn't have those skills. Uh, and and it, it became very surface level and transactional because as soon as I built a relationship with somebody, it was on to the next. And so, you know, after a certain time, you know, okay, well, next year, don't get too close. You're going to be, you're going to go away. And then you always promise you're going to stay in touch. And then maybe you get a couple phone calls and then it, it's not that way. Right. So it's 
getting there, there was this inherent need that I never addressed of wanting to fit in so bad. And we're in this, we're in this, um, I, I guess an, an era where standing out is like, like there's this big thing about wanting to be super unique and standing out and all that. And like, I, so for me, I can't relate to it really because it's like, um, and I'm not saying I'm so special or something like that, but I have the opposite thing where I, it's like, I want to fit in and, and, and be a part of something, right? Because it's like, you just have that in you to want that as that communion, like that uh, communal base type of relationship with, with someone. And so what are you going to do when you get there and you realize, well, the most popular choice is partying. I mean, and, and you ask your mom for advice and she tells you, if you don't do that, you don't go out that, uh, you know, you stayed in your room on Friday to study. Imagine what they, they're going to think you're so boring and they're never going to call you again. You're never going to have friends. You're wasting your, your college experience, you know, go out and live. And so, I, you know, I didn't have the maturity to really realize I don't have, I can still go to these things and maybe, you know, um, maybe they accept me anyways, or maybe they're not the right friend group, but that didn't cross my mind. It was more like, okay, you still wear the cape to me. Mom's always right. <laughs> you know, mom knows that. You did what most people do when, um, you do what most people do when they have a problem and they don't have, they don't have friends around them at that point or in a transition or whatever. You trusted your mom. Um, so you hadn't been drinking. You didn't like drinking. You had pretty much in your head seems like you hated drinking, but you kind of were like, you, you only saw one way. And then the person that really unfortunately should have said the exact opposite to you and like kind of not confirmed your fears because your fears weren't true. Number one and number two, like, um, unhealthy, it's unhealthy to do anything to try to fit in. And that's what parents should tell you. Like they should like that you're fine the way you are. And, you know, if you are weird, that's fine. That's what I try to do to my kid. I mean, I do that, but someone else will have them too. Like, um, so you were, you had gotten to university, which was like, so your freshman year, you were like, kind of like not lost, but just like, I'm not sure how to handle this. You called your mom for advice. And she said, well, obviously you have to go out and drink because that's the way that you become social and have friends. And then you said, got it. I trust you. And I, look up to you. So I'm going to do that. And that's, that's where you're drinking. Started. Yep, that's exactly it. And it, it was like, you know, it was just more the tone too, that she would use. Like I, it's hard to describe how she does it. You know, in another lifetime, she would have been a great salesperson because she just has this way of making you feel like a used car sales. Yeah. Person. Like you're, it's a no brainer. Right? <laughs> yeah. so, so I, 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 you know, um, crazy enough. Uh, I, you know, I have two kids and their godparents um, I met through college. And that was, you know, I met him through drinking. Uh, that wasn't like the, the like um, substance of our relationship. I had plenty of people that I drank with that I don't talk to anymore. And that was like the norm. It just happened that he accepted me no matter what. It didn't really matter. I didn't know that at the time. Uh, but that's what they would invite me to go and do. So I, I did. And that's how I built a friendship for like, you know, that was long lasting. I can count on the next year, the year after that. And obviously to the present day, it had I known it didn't have to get to that level, though, they you probably still would have loved me regardless. But that's but I'm just saying at the time, respective, that's not what went through my head. It was I'm going to go hang out with you guys and not be a buzzkill. I want you to call me again. Right. So that's that's where my thinking came in. And so it was one of those things where it was like a Friday night and 
you know, he was in a fraternity. So I would go over there and they go really hard over there. And so, you know, it's, you're getting not just a little bit, you're, you're going all the way until, you know, you're pretty much blacking out, which is. That was my next question. I was going to ask to what level did you drink? Like, I know there are some people and this may seem impossible to some other people, but there are people that will, um, like you said, um, or like we've talked about like watering down their alcohol or pretending not to have as much or whatever. Like there, there's also a fork in the road when you are, when you make the decision that I have to drink, even though I don't want to, do I pretend that I'm drinking or do I just like go balls to the wall? And I think probably fraternities and like college is like the one place where you probably don't have much of a choice no. because everyone's going balls. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's nobody that's on the other side of that saying like, no, you could probably, no. So you decided, or you were shown and you, everything that they were doing, you were just like, I guess I got a party. So you would be blacking out. And what were your feelings the next day when you knew that like, not only did that suck, you know, just the hangover part, but like, I never even wanted to do that. Did you put those two things together? Yeah. I I, I don't think I like, I, I maybe didn't think about it like that so much. Like I didn't, want to because I'm like, you know, I made that that choice, but I realized, wow, that really sucked. And then I realized yeah. there's going to be another call tonight for the same exact thing. And I'm and I'm like, you know, how, how am I going to do this again? But I would. And, and it was like just this terrible. You felt like you had no other right. choice. Yeah. And it, and, and it was like one of those things where I would t- sometimes make up excuses like um, so I'd get out of it when it was just getting too much. But it affected me a lot harder in the sense because it was so counter to, to what I, what I actually wanted to live my life like. You valued and believed you were like living a completely different subset of values compared to what you had ingrained in you for like probably 10 years. Oh yeah, exactly. So I was like, this is, uh, this is one of those things where I, I know that it's wrong in a sense but I'm like, wait, it's not though. If my mom's telling me it's okay, you know, th- I'm fitting in for the first time and, and getting, uh, you know, I've, I've um, a lot of friends, you know, I use that term really loosely back then. Now I, I you know, I have a very uh, conservative approach on, on how I use that word. I don't throw the word friend around anymore. <laughs> I used to throw that word around. Because yeah. um, <laughs> once I say, once I say you're my friend, I'm, internally obligated to like answer the phone at two in the morning when you need something and my list can't be two thousand yeah, people exactly like, like you know i i being a friend is a is a big um not a burden but it's a responsibility and i don't it'd be a disservice to my good friends for me to tell you that we're friends and you know that's a hundred percent that's exactly uh, it and i did not use that approach because i wanted as many and as much as possible and it, it was your quantity oh yeah quality. absolutely so for for that time period it was like well then there's other things that you get introduced to and then it was it was weed which was just one of those things where my mom actually looked at that worse than heroin uh believe it or not she would talk about it like it was the absolute worst thing in the world Devil. oh yeah that, like it's not like i'm not saying it's a great thing i think you know there's people out there that where does their identity there's other people that use it sparingly and can handle it. You know, there's there's a, there's a, a spectrum, but my mom would look at it yeah, like it was fentanyl today, right? And that was her approach to it. So I was always scarred about that. If I even saw someone smoking it or something, I was like, oh man, they're throwing their life away. Of course, <laughs> of course, yeah. I mean, that's what it was like fed to you. Like I, my my parents used to always say, like, 
pot and like use these words that were like almost like derogatory yes. about it. And I just, I finally like found out, like I used to go to parties and I was very observant and I'd be like, okay, people who are drinking are jumping off the roof. They're, they're riding a scooter backwards down the, down the road with no shirt on. They're getting pulled over. They're going to jail. All these people I know that smoke are sitting in that room watching yeah. the movie. So I don't know what you're talking about, but like alcohol doesn't scare yeah. me. And this day, I'm like, I've never had someone call me and be like, I just got so high, I punched my fucking yeah. mom in the face. Like I've never. Exactly. But I have, actually, you know, like, so, I mean, it's not, it's not great for it to be. Um, it's not great in a lot of situations, but at the same time, it's like, it's nothing like people wanted. And that's, I think, a government-driven thing that they wanted to, like, devil our... Um, there was propaganda against weed, you know, up until the, I believe, 90s. So, like, your mom was probably fed some of that. But just to be a human being, like, just be able to observe yeah. things, like, it's pretty obvious that the people who smoke weed aren't the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy, right? That's such a good point because, you know, she's, like, the biggest Motley Crue fan and was always at concerts and stuff. And while she was pregnant with me, she would go to concerts. So, you know, that was like kind of the somewhat of that lifestyle, which is like why it was very strange to me. I know drinking was a big part of it, too. But, you know, you would think that her view on it would it be like so, um, I don't know, humorous in a way. Hey, friends, it's Zara. Are you feeling stressed, anxious, or just need a little bit of help to relax and focus? If so, you should try Moment. Just one serving of Moment can help to reduce stress and anxiety, improve focus and concentration, enhance creativity and problem solving, and promote better sleep. Moment is also available in a variety of delicious flavors, including strawberry chamomile, plum ginseng, ginseng, and lemon lavender. So you can find the perfect flavor to help you focus and relax, no matter what your mood is. And 15% off of your order all year with the code DRINKSOBERNOTBORING. So what are you waiting for? Try Moment today and see the difference it makes. You can also get moment in powder or capsule form to enjoy on the go. Wherever you are, find your moment. I was like, wow. Um, I, I'm completely thinking about other things. I'm laughing at, at nonsensical things. And like before this, I, like a year before I went to uh, university, I was, I was like a, a soccer player and I wanted a scholarship. And I had two knee surgeries, um, you know, when I was 17 and 18. That's not why I, you know, I'm not saying that's why I didn't make it. Like, as I wanted to be professional, I probably wouldn't have made it anyways. Uh, but it was a big uh, reason. And that's kind of what makes it impossible. Yeah, yeah, it, it, we don't yeah it, there was no shot. I just wasn't fast enough. I had some, you know, good skills and everything. But, no, it, it probably, I lost too much development time. Uh, you know, the United States, the programs weren't there and, and for whatever reason, right? It's it's a one percenter pool. Um, but I, I so I want to avoid thinking, you know, saying that, well, back in my day, I, you know, I would have been in the big leagues if it wasn't for this. No, it's just a catalyst to me saying, you know what, this is the time to put it away. It, it, so my point there is mm -hmm. I was missing a very big part of my life because that's what um, always kept me. Uh, away from what we talked about earlier was I was at soccer practice and then I would zone out and do that. Yeah, exactly. So it was like I was zoning out and I had games to look forward to. Now when that uh, big part of my life is stripped away, then you replace it. And then with not so good things. So that became my hobby was doing that. And, and, and then so, you know, then you have the partying. Now I've added another substance into the mix. Uh, and then I, 
How were your grades? Oh, they were um, the uh, first semester, very, very average. Um, the second, uh, the like my sophomore year, the beginning of it, incredible. And then horrendous, the second part of the semester. And it was a downhill slide from that point after like the uh, my sophomore year, uh, the very first semester, I had all A's. The, then the second one, it was like um, a D, a C, uh, just awful, like completely counter. When did you start school? Right around that time, the end of that second semester. It, it was like that exact point. I was so focused in the beginning of sophomore year, added we to the mix, it took about two months, and I felt so depersonalized, like I was in this hazy dream state. You know, he was my, my roommate at the time was from California, so, you know, they're – they bring some really heavy stuff too. It's like different from the seventies where, you know, it wasn't as concentrated. It was heavy duty stuff to where uh, like two weeks would go by. I'm like, is this real? And you're thinking really odd things. And I just like fell off a cliff. So the summer, you know, that's, uh, you know, when everybody went back home, well, I found a dealer locally and then, you know, that became a habit and it was very illegal at the time too, which is not good. So that there's a, a lot of bad things that are coming from this 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 mix of you know the partying and the drinking mm -hmm. and, and being now completely normalized to me, completely normalized, and then having that. So um, I didn't even see it creep up, and that was probably like the the start to where I realized throughout the time I can't go a day without this. Is this addict? Am I an addict? Am I addicted to something? You couldn't go a day without weed or alcohol? Uh, a little bit, like a mix of both for a while. Mostly weed, but for for a, a long time, um, there was actually days where uh, I had to after, after work, because I, I worked while I went to um, university full-time, um, where I would have to have a, a, a six-pack at the end, end of the day. And I would look up uh, you know, research to prove that this is okay. It's actually really good to have, uh, uh, you know, drinks. The wheat in the in the beer is so good for your your metabolism or whatever crap that I was putting in to uh, serve this bias that this was awesome and it was totally normal and okay. And people have been doing this forever. You know, whatever I could find to support my viewpoint to soften what I was hiding was wow. This is starting to be like I, I could not go a day without it, and I knew it bothered me under the surface. But you know that's what more and more does it distracts you from that. So that's where the slippery, the really slippery slope started to come. Is that happening? So ju junior year, junior, like so after that, you continue to go to school or no? I, yeah, I, I I finished and I went all the way through, but I um. I, I like I stumbled through it pretty much. I got through it. My my grades ended up. I ended up with a three point one. So just bouts of consistency and inconsistency. This constant pulling of myself of not caring and then caring way too much and just this constant mm -hmm. like polarization. And, and so it was like this. This is what like the epitome of of what college was. Uh, depending on what classes I was taking and my interest level and so on and so forth, but I ended up getting it done. But it was just at like a, a days to, to junior and senior year. And that's when I really started, um, I, you know, I became a bartender, um, just like, you know, I know you are too, uh, for like a VIP group. Mm -hmm. And and that's when, um, and it was like kind of like freelance. So, um, you know, you could drink on the job and everything. And I met a lot of really bad people 
<laughs> so after college, it was not really different until I got into the, um, the, the, you know, I guess corporate kind of working world, startup world, um, which happened later, um, you know, down the road. But that really was bad. I mean, every single night because I was working seven days, did not even think to even consider myself an alcoholic or, or an addict. It's because everybody around me did it. Yeah. That's another, that's another thing that I feel is so important to, to talk about is like, um, you're, you're a combination of the five people that are, you're around most. And if they all do this, it's kind of a no brainer that you're not going to think anything different. I mean, in order to think about it, you have to acknowledge it. And then you have to like go deeper into the reasonings and that's pretty much why we all do alcohol and drugs is so we don't have to think about anything or think about what we don't want to think about. So it's like, of course we're not thinking about it. You know, we're purposely numbing ourselves so we don't have to think about it. That's pretty much the goal yes. that we're achieving here, even though it's not a healthy goal. That's what so, it turned into. You're right. Like, that's exactly what it turned into. So it went from fitting in to being introduced to it to becoming a recluse. And when I got into, you know, I, I worked at a startup, a digital marketing agency, as like, you know, one of the first employees. So, um, you know, I took like the lowest entry level job. I basically begged the CEO to give me uh, work there because I knew about him um, from a different um, company that he'd started, very successful. And I just wanted to be a part of what they were building. Um, and so that was a very high stress position when you're in a startup stage, you're, you know, you're not paid very well, but it comes with time, right? You got to earn your stripes. But that is when it was like, well, those college people aren't there anymore. Now, now it's like at the at nighttime when you're done work, what do you do? Yeah, you know, there's no handbook on this thing. So it was like you just said, putting myself into an absolute catatonic state almost um, to where I didn't have to think. And it was the same cycle. So doing it until I fell asleep and I wake up and that was my reward. I would get through the day without it, but that was what I was. I would work so hard so I could go home and feel good about doing this terrible other half, the other eight hours, right? That's what I called it. Like the other eight hours that were completely uh, horrible. And I didn't even see the weight that was starting to, to be put on, but I ended up gaining like 50 pounds from, you know, this period to two years later, which is crazy um, to, to even think about. And the health uh, breathing was so hard walking down because I didn't walk anywhere. I didn't, I didn't work out. I didn't exercise, take care of myself at all. Just this complete destruction. Right. And, and it's like, you don't even have time to process it because your mind is rented out 24 seven. You don't even understand the damage really that you're doing to yourself. And your response to that is more, more of it to forget whatever it was. And so that was my, my process was, you know, Losing myself a, a work addiction, the progress, the feeling of we're we're growing. This is awesome. It's that like video game mentality where Pac-Man, you know, like people were, would stay in the bars at three o'clock in the morning to level up their high score. And I looked at it the same exact way. Like I'm addicted to this progress and then go back to another one because I'm not there. And, I, and that's all I can think about. I'm not here. I'm not at work. I'm bored now. I have nothing else. And I don't want to be alone with my thoughts, knowing what I'm doing. Let's just go and talk. I don't want to yeah. hang out with my yeah, Exactly. That was the thing. It was like, I'm uh, like, I would literally be like, I can't stand myself. Like if I, if I sit here and I don't drink or smoke, 
I'm going to start thinking about all of the things that I could be, that I should be, that I want to be, all of these like internal truths that I know are going to definitely pop their head out because the moment that you give yourself time to um, let thoughts come to you instead of yeah. putting them in your head, that's when like the truth comes. And I don't know if anyone's been around, but I've been avoiding <laughs> the truth for 10 years. So yeah. I need to go get drunk. Like I, that was my exact thought was every time I was, I'd come home from bartending, I'd work from 12 to 12 bartending and I would come home change and go right back to the bar until three or four in the morning because what was I gonna do sit there and be with myself like I couldn't even recognize that that was a thing like why would I do that I I was so scared of the things coming to the top that I was like all right I will always be under an influence and I will always be with someone else in that way yeah it won't even have yeah exactly that that's that's that that like sums it up that's exactly it and you know it was like over this time period too when the company got sold and that was the goal and, and it came 10 years old early like uh i ended up working my way up to to running the business development department and building it and we did really well and it got to 70 plus people and it got sold and um so what happened was we ended up um you know you, you get a little bit kicked out to you for being like the loyalty points whatever some people went and traveled and did this and that and i bought that time um like you know thinking my mission is done uh, now I'm really, uh, scared about life because I'm like, I have nothing to look forward to at all. And I'm like, there's, so I'm just going to wait here to sit here basically and, and, and die. And, and I didn't really care at the time if I did, I was like, I would actually welcome that because I just don't feel like there's now there's nothing to look forward to everything that we built is gone. It's in another company's hands. And so during this period, um, I looked in the, you know, one day I looked in the mirror and I saw myself in the mirror every morning. And that's why it was weird that I looked and I had like just yellow kind of discolored skin. And, and my, like my, um, eyes were so baggy and, uh, I just talked to that inner child. And I remember saying out loud to myself, what are you doing to yourself? I said, I, I just, it was like, I, had a, a, a depart like a detachment almost from my physical to yeah to the yeah. To it. yeah you were looking yeah. at yourself from outside how old I was uh, this happened I was twenty five yeah okay so one morning when you're twenty five after you had graduated college and then after you had worked at a startup built it and ultimately achieved what the goal was so if you really think you know if you thought ahead. And like, what would this feel like? You'd probably think that you were feeling a whole lot different than what you were actually feeling when you had achieved the goal. Like you were, you were at rock bottom because the only thing you really had left was the drinking and the smoking and nothing else to have to be like proud of. Right. I'm like, this was it. This is what I, I ended up um, to the, to the point. I'm not even proud of this. I, you know, I was meeting up with my mom to, for her birthday, like one, one time. And um, I like almost lost consciousness and I ended up going to having to go to the ER. I ruined her birthday um, because I was so overworked and dehydrated probably from the night uh, before, you know, wide uh, smoking. And then, um, you know, some of the, the diet pills and stuff that I was taking for a little bit because of my, my weight, I was trying to lose weight this time, all of that. I didn't realize how dehydrated I was and I had to pull over to the side of the road and I went to the, to the ER and they had to keep me overnight pumping, you know, um, 
uh, like saline and all the stuff to, to get me healthy. And I'm like, that's what I did all of this for. Or, like, why? What was the what was the point of that? And, and, and I'm like, there was never a time that your mom saw how you had physically, at least physically um, degraded over those like years. She never like mentioned to you that maybe you had a problem or like, I'm worried about you. You don't look well, like just kind of the things that our, our loved ones say to us when we're not taking care of ourselves. Oh yeah. Was that, yeah, but, conversation? but it was her solution was not that there was a problem with uh, any, any like um, substance or anything like that. Her, her thing was, well, you just need a haircut and uh, you know, do your eyebrows and go get a tan. <laughs> And before we go, I want to thank each and every one of you for being a part of our growing Drink Sober, Not Boring community. And a very special thank you to Ryan for reaching out to me, someone who was a complete stranger to him and opening up in ways only someone truly recovered can do. You are an inspiration to me and I'm sure many, many others. Thank you for showing us that we can always find ourselves as long as we're willing to put in the work and patient enough to do so. And don't worry, part two will be coming next week. I simply couldn't cut out all the invaluable lessons and wisdom Ryan's journey has afforded him and now us. Y'all have a great week. Be kind to someone who needs it today. And Ryan and I will both talk to you next week. At Pure Spectrum, our CBD products are designed to enhance lives by providing natural solutions. Pure Spectrum has been a trusted CBD industry leader since 2015, overcoming obstacles and striving to deliver the highest quality products to our customers. But more importantly, we are more than just a CBD company. We are a community. We are passionate about educating individuals, empowering them to take control of their well-being. Our resources, expert guidance, and supportive community will equip you with the knowledge and tools you need to make informed decisions about your health. We are proud of the stories we hear from our customers who have found relief, balance, and a healthier lifestyle through our products. Join us on our journey towards wellness and experience firsthand the Pure Spectrum Advantage. Use code DRINKSOBER for up to 25% off on your first order. That's DRINKSOBER for up to 25% on your first order.